Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Court Side Convo. It's been a minute since we've released an episode, but this one couldn't have come at a better time with the playoffs in full swing. I'm your host, AJ Evans, joined alongside Tim Marshall and a new guest that we have here today, Derek Mitchell. Uh, Derek was actually on a previous episode that we recorded. Unfortunately, that though, that one didn't get released. It'll stay in the vault, but Derek, man, please introduce yourself. What's up? My name is Derek Mitchell. Uh, I'm a producer for Spartan Sports Report. And um, I'm just happy to be here on this podcast. This is my second one. Another one I did is called the um, College Basketball one. It's coming out this week as well. But I'm going this one. I'm really excited to be with here with you guys and just to keep doing this for the rest of the semester and going into the next year. Absolutely. And make sure you guys check out that new College Basketball podcast uh, hosted by Josh Gut Broad. It's, it's a terrific podcast, and there's a lot of good content on there. So, um, But let's jump right into this. Like I said, the playoffs are in full swing. Uh, most teams have played two games now. There's a lot going on. We're currently actually watching Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets, and the Sixers lead the series 2-0. to zero. But before we get into that series, we're going to talk about – we're going to start off in the East, talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. This series is currently tied at one apiece. Um, but there have been a couple of interesting storylines within this playoff series. Obviously, the injuries, I think – have created the most headlines within this series. Giannis was ruled out with a lower back contusion of their most recent game. And Tyler Hero uh, is also out indefinitely with a, a broken hand. They, I, I saw something the other day, I don't know if you guys saw it, but it said the soonest he could return is the NBA Finals, if they were to make it to the Finals. Um, but I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this series and, and, and talk about Milwaukee especially. Um, in the last game... They obviously didn't. The Bucks obviously didn't have Giannis. They had seven guys scoring double figures. They are incredibly deep. I think we've known that for the entirety of this season. But you know, I, I want to ask you guys: Do you all think the Bucks are the deepest team in the NBA? Well, I have my biases, obviously, <laughs> uh, in in Boston. But they 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 have guys. I mean, they've they also have defensive first guys. Like yes, if. Brooke Lopez, defensive first. Drew Holiday, defensive first. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the bench, I mean, Bobby Portis, I believe he finished third in um, sixth man of the year votes. They they got guys, and they have experience, too. That's a big thing you need in the playoffs. You need guys who have done it before. And, yeah, they, I mean, they, they, they are a deep team. They are a championship caliber team. That's what you need to – that you need depth in the playoffs. You absolutely do. And I think even with the guys that they have that are – offensive oriented guys or who are focal points within their offense they're still two-way guys I don't think they have anybody that's necessarily a significant liability at least within their rotation of eight or nine guys that they have but Derek what about you do you think the Bucks are the deepest team in the league honestly I think they are they have like a lot of depth and what you're saying about the two-way thing I mean everybody on the starting lineup in my opinion is really a two-way guy they can all play defense and they've all been like to some finals run or been deep in the playoffs before, so they just kind of know what they're doing in this play. They're calm, they're collected when they play, and I think they can get that far without Giannis in a way because of like the depth that they have and like just how calm and collected they are in the playoffs. And I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this too with obviously Giannis being out. We don't know if he's going to play in the next game. Um, I firmly believe, I think games like this are crucial in your journey to the finals should you get there because you learn how to battle without your star. And I think in some ways that really strengthens you as a team. You know, um, 
I think Jaws a, a pure example. Obviously, the Grizzlies have had to play a lot of games without him, but I think with Giannis is even more important important just because, you know, the Bucks in some ways I think have a really heliocentric offense, one that revolves around him specifically, and they have so many weapons and so many guys who are great. But in a lot of ways, this team goes as Giannis goes. But you know, I think there's a lot to be said in a team that is able to really battle and, and, and maximize itself as a team without your star. Um, but how important do you guys think those games are when you have to go to war in a playoff series against a tough team like the Heat? Like we talked about, you know, in that in our last episode, the Heat obviously aren't necessarily the best team in the East or maybe not even one of the, you know, top three, top five teams in the East or the eight seed, but they're a tough out regardless of whoever they play. How important and how crucial do you th- guys think it is to – get wins against a team like that without your main guy yeah i mean that they're a really tough team uh just looking at this game two stats like jimmy butler is their key they really only have two guys now because bam or because heroes now out they like Mm -hmm. they only have two like nba starter caliber players i believe and if you look at their stats they held jimmy butler to a minus 31 in that game and bam to a minus 20 Cody Zeller had the most rebounds for them in game two. Like, they just didn't have anything going on. I think a game like this is important against a team like this because, like, they, even without Giannis, are more talented. But, like, if you get into the next round and it's either Cleveland or New York, I don't think you can get away with stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I think you need Giannis, obviously. So, for now, these are good uh, moments because you get guys like Bobby Portis to step up, Jay Crowder to step up. So I, th- I think that's where it's important. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it allows for you to also allow your rotational guys to find a rhythm, which I think is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, Especially at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you hope to do that during the season, but the playoffs are a different monster. So like you said, especially at home, allowing – some of your rotational guys to get minutes, those are imperative. And at the end of the day, I think we really overlook the importance of your rotation. You know, your rotation in some ways is everything the deeper you get into the playoffs, you know, because at the end of the day, your stars still have to sit. So who's going to be able to score and provide offense and defense for those five, seven, eight minutes that your star is sitting? Because a game can be lost within five minutes. So... I feel like when you're looking at like the league nowadays, it's all about stars and it's all about like who plays and stuff like that. Like when you look at Golden State the last couple of years, I mean it's KD, Curry, Clay, and all these and Draymond, and all these different players. And we just look at the stars, but really what kind of helped them in that endeavor was Wiggins and the bench when they had Harrison Barnes back in that run without KD. I think it's just the bench that really, really carries a team in a way and gives them that backbone that they deserve. Obviously, they may not have the big names and stuff like that, but the backbone of the team is really what's important. So when you're looking at this series, I mean, with the um, <laughs> the different teams that are dropped in a way, it's like, you know, obviously, you no know, Tyler Hero is kind of bad for them. And same with them locking up Jimmy and Bam a little bit the second game. I think that that's kind of imperative, but I think the Bucks are just going to take this out. Even without Giannis, I think they're fine. Their depth is big enough and good enough, as I said before, to take them into the next round. They'll need them next round with the, they have to play Cleveland or whoever, but, I mean, I think they'll be fine for this round. Staying in the Eastern Conference and moving on to another series, though, Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. I don't know about you guys, but personally, I think this is one of the most interesting playoff series or battles um 
in this year's playoffs. You know, these are, like I said, these are two very interesting teams, and I think in a lot of ways they're somewhat similar. Um, this game, this series is also tied at one apiece right now. Uh, in the first game, Jalen Brunson at 27 points. Second game, Cavs responded. Harris Levert had 24 off the bench, and Darius Garland had 32 and 7. Donovan Mitchell chipped in with 17 and 13. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this series because, like I said, I, I think it's one of the most interesting ones, but I, I want to hear what you guys have seen so far and how you guys think this series will progress. I'll start with you, Derek. Um, I mean, looking at the Cavaliers and the Knicks, they are a pretty even team in a way. I mean, just like Karis LeVert dropping 24 off the bench is kind of surprising to me. I mean, Karis has always been a baller when he was on the Nets and stuff like that and with Michigan. But, I mean, him dropping 24 is kind of surprising. But, I mean, like both of them having star guards with Brunson and um, Darius Garland, I think that's really, really important. Obviously, you can't forget about Donovan Mitchell. Having 17 with 13 assists, he's really, really good. But in my opinion, I have the Cavs winning this series because I'm just a big fan of Donovan Mitchell, the spider. He's the goat in my opinion. But, I mean, I think in this series, obviously I have the Cavs winning. But this is going to be really, really good one going into the next couple of games. Yeah, I think, I mean, these two teams have been destined to play each other in this first round. I mean, when you look at the – Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes we had this summer. It was between New York, who was the favorite for a lot of the summer until Cleveland just kind of swooped in and grabbed him. And he wanted uh, to be in New York. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, like, we've kind of known, like, this has been the solid 4-5 since, like, mid-March. So, like, we knew this was coming. They had some good battles in the regular season. Very similar teams. Uh, like, kind of both constructed, like, this year. This is really the first time we're seeing both like current versions of these teams. Um I like I like Cleveland. I think they have like I think they will go as far as Evan Mobley leads them and he's not their leader. It's obviously Mitchell and then Garland. Mm-hmm. But like if he's like he only gave you 13 and 13 in game 2, but you still win. But if he can give you like great defense down low and like a decent like 20 and 10 like then you're like then it's let's play the bucks and see what happens i i think because you got scoring in donovan and in garland and mm-hmm. like this team has a lot of good pieces hopefully okoro only played three minutes i wonder did he get hurt in that game maybe i i wasn't watching personally but he is their kind of weakest link kind of in their rotation i believe offensively at least mm-hmm uh, so I I, I don't. Th- this is a very interesting one. I think I think Cleveland's gonna get it done. I hope it goes seven though. I, that's really all we want to see. Seven games, and in MSG in these next two, that'll be a fun thing to watch. You know, the crowd there is gonna be amazing. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I think you know games three and four. I don't know if they're the most important, but. I think they go a long way yeah. for the, you know, the tone of the rest of the series. Um, I'm, I, I really like Mobley's game. I, it's been great to see how he's progressed. I knew he was going to be special. I felt like he would be, you know, coming out of USC. Um, I think what's impressed me most is how he still finds ways, similar to how Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis is able to, which ironically, you know, they were both, in that in a standoff for the defensive mm-hmm. player of the year award, you know, they 
both find ways to just impact the game without necessarily affect like putting it on the box score yeah they're the um, modern big both of them really defend yeah. defense and they can kind of spread the floor out absolutely um something that has always interested me with with cleveland it, it's been interesting to see how it's evolved over the years when i can't remember who was i believe it was darius colin sexton was drafted first yep. and, and mm-hmm. darius garland was drafted second and i remember when he was drafted on draft night, being a little confused as to why they picked him. Um, Garland is obviously a smaller guard. He's 6'1". Uh, Sexton is the same, 6'1", 6'2". And I remember thinking, you know, why why would they want another point guard? Are they Do they have a deal in the works? This was on draft night. And I remember hearing a report, not hearing a report, but so, an insider within uh, the Cavaliers organization stated that they envision that backcourt to be similar to Portland's of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And it's been interesting to me because I think, obviously Sexton isn't there anymore, but they haven't necessarily diverted from that. Going out and getting Donovan Mitchell, I think in some ways, you know, this backcourt can be a little bit more dynamic because I think those guys complement each other a little bit better. I don't know if they Individually, you can make your argument because all four of those, between the four of those guys, they're just phenomenal they're all hoopers but like I said I think this backcourt complements itself a little bit better than I think Portland's did but it's also been terrific to see how they've been able to build this front court as well they're a very well-rounded team and you know I think the biggest thing about the playoffs and competing and and finding ways to go deeper into the postseason Tim you you and I have talked about this you have to find in order, you have to find out how to win. You have to learn how to win, and some a lot of times that also coincides with losing. And so, not to say I, I think the Cavs will lose. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think that, but I think I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Cleveland, just because I think they're a really good young team, and I think they're ascending, and I think they're gonna be great within a few years. But I think there will be some growing pains, especially within the playoffs. But I think this will be a great series to sort of get, a, I think, a glimpse into their future and how good these guys can be. Because I think the scary thing about all of them is that as good as they are right now, for all intents and purposes, they should be a lot better within two years, individually and collectively. And so, yeah, this will be an interesting series. And on New York side, you know, I think a lot of it, I think, will come down to some of the role players. You know, I think Quentin Grimes has played a really big role for this team on offense and defense. And he's had a really quiet series so far. Um Brunson has been terrific. I think he's shown everyone that he deserved, you know, the money that he got over the summer. Um, but, yeah, they're obviously going to need him and Randall, but they're going to need a little bit more out of RJ, out of Quentin, and out of Emmanuel quickly. A lot out of a lot of those guys that they depend on within their rotation. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to add one th- one more thing on what you were saying about the future of this Cavs team. I think if you look at the outlook of the East, I think – in the past couple of years, Philly's window has started to close as Ben Simmons obviously has regressed, and then they traded him for Harden, mm-hmm. who is on the last year of his deal, and he's older, and Bede's closer to 30, and like as a big being over 30, I, I don't love that. Milwaukee's getting old. If you look at their core players, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, obviously they still have Giannis, but their surrounding parts are a little older. 
It's it's setting up for Cleveland. Maybe this is not this probably won't be the year. But it's it's setting up for um where they could be a top two team in the East for the next five years. Because everyone on that team is also locked up for at least the next three years. Cleveland is very, very young. That's the thing very I'm kinda young. nervous yeah. about. So they're gonna kinda ascend in a way that I'm excited to see. It's probably not gonna be this playoff year. I'm not really yeah, expecting no. it. But I would love to see how they grow during this playoffs when hopefully they win at least one more series. I'd like to see that. So I like seeing Donovan Mitchell playing away and Darius Garland as well. That backcourt duel is fantastic. But seeing them evolve in the next couple of years, like you said, AJ, is going to be great. So notice and see. I feel like they're going to take over the East, like you said, Tim. Just it's going to be awesome to see. Yeah. yeah, it's great to see. It's definitely a step in the right direction. And I think they're doing it the right way. And it's been good to see their organization, I think, be patient with these guys and, and continue to just make a conscious effort to build these guys and to build this franchise, like I said, doing it all the right way. So... Staying in the East again, moving on to another series, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. We actually have this game on right now here in the studio. Uh, the Sixers are leading, aren't they? No, Nets are up five. Nets are up five? Yeah. Nets up five, yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry, guys. It's on commercial. But uh, <laughs> it's in the fourth quarter right now. The Nets are currently up. Um, Philly leads the series 2-0. And... To tell you the truth, I'm not going to be too surprised if Philly does win this series. I think it's theirs to lose. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk to you all a little bit more about Philadelphia's path because I think if there's any franchise right now that has the most pressure to win and win now, I think you can make an argument is Philly. Mm-hmm. A lot of other teams, I think, have wider timelines. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think – I don't know if there's another team, maybe the Lakers, maybe the Warriors, I'm not sure, but – if there's a team that you can classify as needing to win now, it is definitely Philly. So, yeah, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on, on this Sixers team and how far you guys think this team can actually go. And I don't mean to look past this Brooklyn series, but should they def- beat Brooklyn, how far do you guys have this team going? Tim, I'll start with you. I, I think it's been weird for Philly this year because they've won a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Everything on the outsides looked good. But then you you got some odd reports coming out recently. <laughs> why why would James Harden about probably two weeks ago come out and say, "Oh, James Harden would love to go back to Houston, a team that won twenty two games this year," when he's on a on the third seed in the East right now? Wouldn't you rather win with Embiid? And Doc Rivers came up with some. I I thought these were even weirder comments talking about how the LA team didn't really mesh. He, he was talking a lot about them, and he said they were never going to really win a series. I, I just feel like, where is their head at when the goal is, and Embiid is more focused. There's been some quotes coming out about him just wanting to win the MVP, and he's been, he's hasn't gotten the benefit of the doubt on it the last two years. He's been the victim. That's those have been the quotes coming out of Philly in the last three months. It hasn't been. We're just focused right now on Brooklyn. We're gonna play a solid game, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. All of their mind is kind of in just like weird places right now. I don't think like I just I'm not confident in them. I think obviously as a Celtics fan, I think 
it's it's over next series in five and we've seen it before and we'll see it again i well is there anything there's not much that i fear about this team is there anything within this brooklyn series that you think has been encouraging from them so far obviously right now there's nothing to be encouraged about they're currently <laughs> down three in the fourth quarter with over five minutes left but they're up 2-0 what have you what have you seen from this team that you've liked within this these first two games i mean both of the games they won pretty handily but it was close for a little bit I, I i think their defense is nothing to look past though i think they have a really good defensive team they've held brooklyn to 184 points respectively like they i think their defense is something that this is the best defense they've ever had i feel like their offense has always been pretty good but their defense is kind of lacked this time they're kind of more defensively focused I'd, I'd say i think that's good because we don't see a lot of defensive focused teams especially with Philly because I mean you have James Harden he's a really good offensive player and Embiid I mean his stat lines are incredible that he puts up every single game especially because he's been like in the MVP conversation in the last couple years so I think Sim seeing them with Tyrese Maxey playing defensively and different players in the team playing defensively as well that's nice to see shout out PJ Tucker but um <laughs> I mean Harden is really really a controversial thing for me I don't know if he wants to stay because he's not really tied to any team but uh going back to houston is a really weird thing to think about because i don't know why he would go there i mean he's on a top three team it doesn't really make any sense but i think it should stay it out but harden is never really the person to stick around with a team but i mean you haven't beat on your team and are really good pieces and i think you should just be focused on the finals i think he can make it there get past your celtics maybe no shot <laughs> but i mean if that does happen you owe me ten dollars but okay. um it might not happen this year but i think they could maybe do it i don't know yet the thing is if it's not this year when is it like their window is small like it's one of the only if big harden's teams gone the East, then who do you is small if harden's gone then your big three is Embiid, maxi and tobias harris like i just i don't think it's that's not getting it done. well i mean outside of harris i think i really do think maxi has emerged and i think unfortunately i think the departure of harden could really open things up for him um you know, Maxie's a really dynamic guard. I, I honestly think you would need another playmaker within that offense just because, like I said, Maxie's an explosive scorer and he has an ability to, I think, score on all three levels and he's only improved. But, you know, he's still, I think, I don't want to, I, I hate to list him as a tweener because I hate calling guys that, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's been, I think, tough to establish exactly what his position is and I think Doc Rivers and the coaching staff have done a great job of getting him into some sets where he's running, you know, the point guard spot. But I don't know if that's where he'll thrive, and I don't know if that's where his ceiling is playing the point. I think yeah. it could be doing what he's doing now where he's sort of fluctuating between both. But I think if that is his ceiling and if that's how they envision utilizing him for the years to come, you have to go out and get a guy who I think at this point his career is a little more – playmaker oriented and, and I think a little bit less ball dominant you know mm -hmm. in terms of assists and um and his ability to make passes and to read the floor you know Harden is unrivaled but he takes up a lot of the shot clock he takes up a lot of ball possessions and I think you need a guy who maybe eats a little bit less on offense to like I said to allow Maxi to thrive um in the way that I think he can um I've liked what I, I've seen from them so far, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's always been an issue with Philly maybe not being the most collective team 
You know, I think individually they've always had the pieces, and I think in spurts those pieces have worked really well together. But I don't think we've seen it come together in full force um, the way that I think many anticipated it to. And obviously, you know, the the pick and roll with with Harden and Embiid has been dynamic. But both of those guys are are, are so good offensively, especially in the one in one on one settings that mm-hmm. you know it's almost been. I think difficult in some ways for them to utilize the pick and roll as much as they have, just because, like I said, both of those guys, they can dominate in a one-on-one setting so effortlessly. Um, But at the same time, I think we all can agree that's not necessarily conducive to winning basketball games, especially in the playoffs. So, but, yeah, like I said, it remains to be seen. I don't know how far I I personally have Philly going. the pressure's on. I think this season, in a lot of ways, can define, you know, Harden's legacy and the player that Harden will be. I don't. I don't know if there's a better opportunity for him in terms of winning a championship out there than this one right now. Um, and you never know. You never know with coaches. It's an unpredictable market. But the same could be said about Doc Rivers when his career is all said and done. This could be his last shot to really coach a, a championship contending team. I think it's his last shot of. Who is he as a coach? Is he the guy who won in 08 and has had great teams with the Celtics and the Clippers? Or is he a guy who's had amazing talent and kind of underachieved? Like He definitely has the one title, but when you look at what he's had, only having one title, is that enough? Yeah, I mean, well, well I think it depends on where you're, what you're asking of him. You know, because at the end of the day, winning games is winning games. Playoffs regular season and you know for the coaches who are able to do so in the NBA or in, or in any sport it's a big deal you know and it obviously means a lot um in terms of all-time great coaches that's when I think you get yes. into the championships yeah. and when you get into the failures and the legacies and how they responded to adversity and things like that so you know unfortunately I think because Doc Rivers had so much success as a young coach um I mean, even dating back to his years with the Magic, I mean, he helped turn that Magic team yep. around. Set the bar really high for him. Yeah, and it, that's really followed him, you know, for the entirety of his career. And in some ways, he has been able to deliver because his teams have always made the playoffs and, mm-hmm. you know, they've gone somewhat far. I mean, the Clippers yeah. had one Western Conference Finals appearance, you know, which... Yeah, he hasn't been to the Finals since 2000. Sometimes you got to win a chip if we're going to look at people. Absolutely. We have the same idea with, like, MVPs and not going far in the playoffs and winning anything. I think it's kind of the same. Absolutely, but that's the thing, though. You have to think of that when you're talking about all-time great coaches, Mm -hmm. and that's what I mean. In terms of coaches all-time, I think Doc Rivers is a really good coach. Now, can you classify him as one of the best to ever do it? I think that remains to be seen, and that'll be dependent, like you said, Tim, on him finding another way to win a title. And I I worry about his like the game-to-game adjustments. That just hasn't been there in the last five years. If you look back in the bubble with the Clippers – or in Atlanta, like they just he let Trey Young like walk all over him, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> like they, he let Trey Young do whatever he wanted that defense, and like it was just he let Ben Simmons like Ben Simmons on the in the fourth quarter, like the way he was managing that team, it was just it just wasn't good. I just I don't I don't like it. It was just bad. I I don't trust him. I wouldn't trust him if I was a Philly fan. I would say, what has he done to really elevate this team? And I don't believe it's been much. You got a valid point. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, 
Turning towards another Eastern Conference series, the Boston Celtics and Atlanta Hawks. There are a lot of, I feel like I've I've been saying this about each one, but there are a lot of interesting storylines, I think, within this series as well. Um, The Celtics are obviously looking to get back to the finals, you know, after getting there last summer, last June, excuse me, and and getting defeated by the Warriors in six games. Um, They've gotten off to a great start. They're 2-0 right now against the Atlanta Hawks, against what has been an a depleted Atlanta Hawks team. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, I know you're. <clears throat> excuse me. I know you're a big Celtics guy. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in this series so far. Uh, what I've seen has been adjustments. Adjustments from the play style from the first half or from the regular season to the postseason. If you look at it in the regular season, it was all threes, three pointers all over the place, raining them in. They were one of the best three point shooting teams. <laughs> Um, in the regular season, in the playoffs, we haven't seen that. Like the percentages, I think it was like in the four, like maybe high thirties for the first two games. But they've been they've been really good inside the paint, just getting to where they want on the smaller Atlanta Hawks team. That's what they have to do if they want to win. They have to adapt, and I think they can. They're a team that can play in so many different ways they can hit you with the three they can be in the paint obviously we don't love the mid-range but they have guys who can <laughs> mid-range shots uh they they can really do a lot and i think that will help them and they have experience now so i think all of that can help them as the playoffs roll on i feel like for this the first these first two games i think it's just kind of a cake what kind of series i think yeah. you need to just Get right through them, get to your spots, like you said, Tim. Just get to the three and just end it, in my opinion. Because, I mean, they're they're so experienced. They have the talent. They have the team. They have the depth in the bench. I think they need to just get past the Hawks. As you look at the scores, I mean, it's not really been that close of games no. besides the last one. But, I mean, so they need to just get past these these people. I mean, Trey Young is okay. They're not playing that well. DeJounte is really, really good. But, I mean, they're not giving them that much of a challenge as I thought they would give them coming into the series. No, nah, I think they just get past them and get on with the league and get on to the finals, in my opinion. AJ, do you want to take your Trey Young victory lap now, or do you want to wait? Oh, man. Well, I mean, See now that, that you mentioned it, before, I mean, before I get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about Boston. I think, you know, their ability to adjust, obviously, is a testament to their experience. But I also think, you know, this is an incredibly big team. Like, you and I have talked about it. They've just got a lot of size all around the board. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it starts with your forward duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, um, those guys have gotten so much better, and they've always been great, but they've just continued to evolve, and I think they've continued to add wrinkles to their game, you know, in terms of, I think, committing a little bit more defensively, locking in a bit more, you know, especially on off-ball defense and and finding just different ways to continue to score. Um I think all of that has really opened up some new avenues for this team to explore and has really allowed them to adjust, I think, a bit more easily uh, than I think you could say in previous years. And so that's what I've seen, and that's been really good to see. And obviously, and also, too, you know, the experience is just there. You know, these guys yeah. have been here before. You know, they understand how to win a playoff series. They understand uh, the road it takes to the finals, you know, the kind of focus and commitment you need, you know, this is, none of this is uncharted territory for them. And I think that's going to work wonders for this team, not only this postseason, but in many postseasons to come. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
I will talk a little bit about Trey Young. Um, I would like to say the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, this there's a lot going on in Atlanta. We, yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, Quinn Snyder took over as head coach uh, pretty late into this season. Snyder's, you know, one of the best coaches in the league. Stepped away for a little while after coaching the Utah Jazz. Um, did an excellent job coaching them. They just, you know, really weren't able to get over the hump in the Western Conference. But I believed that, or I, I do believe that Trey Young could possibly be dealt this summer. Um, I think, unfortunately, I don't think the situation in Atlanta is is working too well. I think the Nate McMillan situation with Trey Young, I think, really sort of magnifies some things that many people have probably looked over who weren't necessarily paying too much attention to Atlanta, but. Overall, though, I don't think, you know, the partnership between Trey Young being the franchise guy and Atlanta Hawks being, you know, the franchise, I don't think is working too well. Um, they went out and traded for DeJounte Murray. That backcourt hasn't meshed. You know, sort of going back to what we were talking about, individually those guys are great, and they've continued to put up their numbers, And but they don't. I don't think they complement each other well, which is mind-boggling to me because I thought they really would. Um, especially in the offseason. You know, DeJounte Murray is one of the most, you know, complete guards in the league, and he's one of the best two-way guys in the league, in my opinion. Um, but, like I said, they haven't complemented each other too well. And so I think Trey Young is a guy who could be dealt um, as soon as draft day, especially with this draft class that we have coming in. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of guys who could be pegged as, you know, franchise guys, especially near the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm not too sure, but I, I do think the Atlanta Hawks will at least explore the possibility of trading him. Tim, can you talk to me a little bit about what you saw? Because you and I talked about this a few days ago and you told me, no, I don't see it. And then today, you know, we talked and I know you had a change of heart. What did have you seen from Trey Young there, in this Tim. series? Well, I've seen two games of Trey Young on the court and Trey Young off the court. Uh, in game one on the court, they were down 30 points by halftime. <laughs> and then <laughs> when you look back into the second half, uh, it was kind of a slow start to the second half. And then Trey Young usually comes out. I think it was like four minutes left maybe. And then they cut down the lead to, I think it was 12 with him off and DeJounte running the offense and everything was moving. The ball, the ball was moving. Everyone was cutting. It looked good. They were playing better defense with no real liabilities on the court. And then in the second game, it was the same thing. I think they were down 20, and they they cut it to eight a little later. Trey Young comes back on the court to close the job, and they lose by 20. It's just that's kind of what it's been for Atlanta. It's just are they better with him on the court or with him off the court? It's just it's something – I, I I don't know where they go from here. I guess maybe they trade Trey Young, maybe they don't. It'll be an interesting offseason for sure. I mean, I feel like you answered your own question with just the stats. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the last couple quarters and Trey Young coming in and they lose by twenty when they're close to game to eight. I mean, just think about that for a second. I don't I think I should explore shipping Trey Young. AJ kinda sold me on that when he told me earlier today. But I mean yeah. I think shipping him would be a decent idea. See what you can get for him. Maybe you can get one of the top five picks in the draft. I'm not saying number one, but I think they could probably get something nice there. But um, looking at how they play without with Dejounte and just their depth and as a team, and like how good they are actually scoring, I think they could ship him, get a couple good picks, get some nice guys that can bring into a rotation 
and I think they could really make a good playoff for the next couple of years without Trey. I mean, keeping Trey would always be good. He's a great player, whatever, but he might be bad for that team. So I think shipping him is the best idea. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to venture too much into the possibility of trading him, but I do think the Hawks may be enticed to bring back this roster and let Quinn Snyder get a full year. Um, unfortunately, you know, I don't think Snyder was able to come in and maybe hit the culture reset button the way he wanted to. You know, there's a lot uh, there's a lot that goes into being a head coach in the NBA, particularly a successful one. And, you know, there's a lot that need, that still needs to be done. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. You know, I was reading an article uh, in The Athletic about him, and he talked a lot about how it was a struggle getting guys to necessarily buy into the, the terminology that, you know, he likes to employ. Um, obviously, you know, these guys have been playing basketball their whole lives, so a lot of the concepts are the same, but like he was talking about, there, there's a terminology and there's just, you know, a way of doing things that's obviously different from, you know, maybe previous coaches that the Hawks have had. So that'll certainly be, I think, an interesting scenario to watch over the summer. The Celtics currently lead that series 2-0. I want to ask you guys, do you guys think that's a sweep I mean, the Celtics? I, I hope it's sweep. I think, I don't think they're going back to Atlanta for a second trip. I think it's if it's not done in four, it's done in five. Uh, yeah, if they win one game, it's kind of like I think last game might have been the closest they'll get. They kind of mm-hmm. they came out, they kind of caught them off guard early. They were up 10, 15 in the first quarter, and then they kind of gave it away. I think they gave it away <laughs> in that quarter. Brogdon had three to uh, go up three in that first quarter to finish it. So, yeah, I think they're just – I think that's four or five. It's just not that competitive. That's why as we watch this Brooklyn uh, 76ers game, hopefully uh, if that game – if that can get stretched to five and Boston can get it done in four, maybe they'll have some extra rest before the second-round series. I kind of agree with you there, Tim. I really don't like Boston that much. This is a pretty <laughs> – it's a pretty easy game for them. I mean, they just have so much depth, and you say with Brogdon and just different players. Obviously, the the duo with Embiid, oh my gosh, the duo with Tatum and duo with um, Brown as well. I just think they're just this is kind of easy for them. So they just get through this, get some extra rest for the next couple of games because this is looking like it might go farther in a way because I think they might they might close this one out. So I mean, we'll see how this goes. But I see the Celtics just kind of cruising to the next round. Absolutely. Well. Moving on to – And that's going to be it. So it's going to be four for uh, yeah. the 76ers as uh, – was that Finney Smith who just gave – just Who it, just gave just game three to the Philadelphia 76ers. Where was he throwing that ball to? Uh, I don't know, but it doesn't help It doesn't help out the Celtics one bit. Yeah. Uh, I so, take that back, sorry. Yeah, that, that'll be a quick four for Philly. And, Thank you. Uh, You're throwing it to a ghost? Well, thank you for that <laughs> lovely report, Tim. Um, we'll, we'll see you in game game one uh, in Boston. Boston <laughs> versus uh, Philly on probably, I don't know, May 1st maybe? I don't know. The 76ers yeah, have so we'll defeated the Brooklyn Nets. We just got word <laughs> they have taken a commanding 3-0 series lead against Brooklyn. And as you heard Tim say, they will most likely be matched up against the Celtics mm-hmm. in the following series. Correct. Moving on to the Western Conference. <laughs> um I want to start off with the Denver Nuggets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. In the most recent game, the Nuggets obviously won 122-113. to 113. Uh, Nikola Jokic had 27-9-9. Nine, nine. Jamal Murray had 40. Um, 
Aaron back. Gordon chipped in with 12. Michael Porter Jr. had 16. And for the Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards went for 41. Uh, you know, he's continued to, I think, just amaze people around the NBA. But um, I want to talk to you guys about what you all have seen in this series, uh, especially with Denver. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't want to look too far forward, but I don't necessarily believe that this is a win now season for Denver, but I think the issue is becoming a bit more pressing. And I think with Jokic having won, obviously two MVPs, possibly being in line for a third, depending on you know what happens, I think the question is looming larger and larger now about when this team is finally going to be able to break through and if they will be able to. Um, unlike a team like the Cavaliers or maybe some of the other ascending teams around the league, I don't. These guys aren't old, but you know, I think a lot of them are definitely within their primes. I mean, you have to ask with Jokic, as great as he's been, when is it going to get to a point where this is as good as he'll ever be, and how can the Nuggets maximize those years? Because unfortunately, they haven't been able to do so do so so far. Um, but. I want to talk to you guys first and foremost, though, about what you all have seen out of this series from both sides. Tim, I'll start with you. I think it's easy to say that Jokic has been disappointing in the playoffs after his two MVPs. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it a little further, like the t- the supporting casts he's had last year, I mean, they were the sixth seed. They got beat by the um, the eventual champs in the Warriors. That team had no second option, no third option. Aaron Gordon was your second option. He's not a second option in the NBA. He's not a if you want to go deep in the playoffs, you can have the best MVP of all time. You're not going getting past the second round without at least someone like Jamal Murray. In the year before that, in Jokic's first MVP, Jamal Murray goes down in April with the torn ACL. So like they just they haven't had uh they haven't had great luck injury-wise. They're fully healthy right now. And if you look back when the last time they were fully healthy, it was a younger team that lost once again lost the eventual champs in the Lakers in the bubble in the Western Conference Finals. Right. Like, I I think this like they're the one seed. I think everyone's kind of just gotten Denver fatigue in a way that they've just they've kind of overlooked them a little. Like Jokic is he's the most efficient player. If, I know analytics are kind of boring, but he's the most efficient player of like this decade of this generation. No, absolutely. And I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on Jokic as a player because I think he's he's terrific and he's phenomenal. And obviously, you're absolutely right. They've had some bad luck, but like I said, I think the issue becomes a little bit more pressing when you have a guy that wins two MVPs and when he's Definitely, in line yeah. for a third. We talk about holding people to a certain standard, a coach like Doc Rivers. Yes. I think you have to hold a guy who has won consecutive. Because how many guys have won back-to-back MVPs? Very, very, very few. And Yeah. Very few. Not many. And those guys have been greats, all-time yeah. greats, with mm-hmm. multiple championships to their name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... At the end of the day, I, I may not agree with it. I may or may not, but I don't think you can necessarily fault people for, like I said, you know, asking these questions. You know, and like you Definitely. said, it has been bad luck, and yeah. he hasn't had the supporting cast that, you know, he's he was accustomed to having. Um, yeah. 
but I do think this may be I think in in some ways though that makes this postseason a little more critical mm-hmm. for them definitely um like I said I think their championship window is a lot more wider than a, you know a team like the Sixers but I think this is an important series for them and I didn't mean to cut you off with that Tim I no yeah. it's just I think it, like Jamal Murray gave the Timberwolves 40 last night. Like, he did. They, he's averaging 32 right now. Like, like they insane. have guys that can – and if you look at them, they'll probably stack up if Kawhi Leonard is still out. We'll get to that later. But if it's looking like it's going to be the Suns against the Nuggets, like I don't hate that matchup for them. They have the depth. They have the interior um, advantage. You're going to have to guard Kevin Durant. That's going to be tough. But they also have the guard matchup in a way at point. I think Jamal Murray is definitely better than Chris Paul right now. Devin Booker, is, on the other hand, is really good. I'd say he's better than Jamal Murray right now. But like they, this, it would match up for a really good series, I think. And I, I, I kind of would lean Denver, like over Phoenix. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's a hot take. But once again, they're the one seed. They're thirty-four and seven at home this year. They won 53 games. We've only seen 10 games from the Suns, and the Suns didn't look that good in game one. Mm-hmm. Like, when they they didn't really defend, like, in game two they defended much better, but if they're not, like, A-plus def- on the defensive end of the court, they kind of just kind of get a little, I, I wouldn't want to say mid, but they don't get, they just kind of are there. They're not as... On defense? Yeah. If the if Suns their defense isn't right like amazing, their offense, they got some liability. Like Chris Paul is not what he once was. He has been well, absolutely. But I mean, he doesn't need to be though for this I, team. I mean, but he needs have... to be like when you look at their finals run, he was good enough. And yeah, he was... but that. But this is a fi- but this is a Suns team with Kevin Durant, a playoff Kevin Durant. And that's and I think that's the thing many people are overlooking. You know. In some ways, unfortunately, I think we put a little too much value onto the regular season. Uh-huh. When you get into the playoffs, having a guy like Kevin Durant on a Suns team that was already loaded throws an entirely different wrench into how you game plan against them. Yeah, but you all, and you can't predict. Obviously, I don't want I want these teams fully healthy. Can't predict injuries, but the wear and tear on a guy like if next series either Chris Paul, Devin Booker, or KD is probably going to be out one game with a banged up hamstring or something or an Achilles. That's just what it's been. If you look back at all these playoff series, one of those guys gotten banged up. Okay, well, couldn't you say the same thing about Jamal Murray? You or could. Porter yeah, Jr.? you definitely could. But I They're think just as fragile. I, I th- yeah, I think it's. But I think Denver has the depth. Phoenix traded away all their depth. No Cam Johnson. No Mikael Bridges. Exactly. Like once you get past. KD on the wing, it's Ish Wainwright and um, Tory Craig, and it's just I don't I don't like. I mean, Tory Craig hasn't been a bad piece. No, he hasn't, but I don't like those guys as like big rotational players. I think I think Denver can. I think Denver with another big thing I think is home court. I think that's totally overlooked. Having four games at home. In a series would be huge for uh, Denver. I think De- I think Denver, Denver in seven. That's my prediction for next series. 
Denver in seven. Yes. That could be right. But Phoenix is still kind of clicking, and I think the second game that we watched, I think they kind of got a little more into themselves when it comes to just meshing and being on a team and playing with all their stars. Mm-hmm. So I think they could kind of give you one for your money, Tim. I think that <laughs> we'll it'll go well, in seven. Before we transition to Phoenix, though, I just want to take a step back and, and circle back to this Denver series. Tim, I want you to briefly tell me, and Derek, we'll, I want to jump to you too. What have you guys seen that you've really liked so far from Denver against Minnesota? Jamal Murray. That's 100%. That, like, 32 points in the series, as you were saying, Derek. I think he's back. In the bubble, he was – he had multiple 50-point games in the bubble. (laughs) Like, multiple 50-point games in the playoffs, you don't see that much. You don't get a guy like that. He rises to the occasion. Chris Paul, does he rise to the occasion in the playoffs? But the thing is, Tim, I – I understand what you're saying about you're, Chris Paul, but you have to understand that Chris Paul is not the focal point of this Phoenix Suns team. He's the floor general. He's obviously he, the quarterback, but he doesn't need to be. He's the not same. shooting the basketball. If you can, you can double either one of Booker or KD with Chris Paul's guy because he's not shooting. He's averaging like six points a game. And you still have to account for the other though, and True. you still have so to, you, and you, you still keep, have to account for DeAndre Ayton. Do you? I, I don't I'm not and, sca- and, I'm not a, scared a, of Aiden. I'm not pick, scared. Of I mean in a pick I, and, I don't too. know if you've seen too much of Phoenix, but in a pick or roll situation, you definitely have to account for Aiden. He yeah. may not he it, may not be the modern day center of a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. or Evan Mobley, but mm-hmm. he's certainly a threat. If it's a pick and roll situation, you shade towards Aiden and you go under the screen. And Chris Paul, let him take the mid range shots. He's been great in the past, but it hasn't been the same this year. I just I don't believe it's the same. I think what his ability to knock down shots. Yes, I think you let him shoot now. Definitely, you let Chris Paul team. shoot. What is like? He's been bad. This like <laughs> bad is crazy. I mean, he's still the floor general. I think he's still the Chris Paul we've seen, but just not that efficient in a way. But I mean, he's still Chris Paul. We saw one run two years ago, and if you yeah, I mean that he had was the only and eight in, in their last game. Tim, my my point is though, I'm I'm saying though, I think. And we're, we'll transition in a minute. I'm just saying, though, I think there are a, a couple of people, and I'll put you in this category, I think there are some people who are a little too concerned with what Chris Paul used to be. Mm-hmm. And I think they're overlooking the fact that he doesn't need to be that now. He'll no, he definitely doesn't team. need to be that. He he definitely does not. I, I agree he with that. He doesn't need to be. He, in, in some ways, he doesn't need to be anything close, especially to what he was in, in New Orleans or something. Or I think he needs to be, like, he can't be – a um as Pat Bev would say, a cone on defense. He can't be No. Because if he is that and he's a liability somewhere, either on offense or defense, then that's where series you just pick apart, pick apart, pick apart. Yeah. Well I mm-hmm. think what he needs to be is the floor general and the point guard that mm-hmm. he's always been. And I think he'll continue to do so. And I I mean I Chris Paul hasn't given anyone, I think, any reasons to believe that he's not gonna maximize the guys he has on the floor. I think he's been able to do that despite their struggles. There are going to be ups and downs. When you get a guy who's as big as Kevin Durant is, mm-hmm. there are going to be. Um, I just – I there's factors in the playoffs that I, I favor Denver in, and I think Denver could be – I'm not saying Denver is going to win in four by any yeah. means. I, mm-hmm. I just think too many people are saying, oh, Suns are Western Conference Finals for sure, maybe even Finals for sure. I think Denver, I think, is being overlooked as the one seed and – the team with the reigning two-time MVP, I think they can really do something special. 
but they kind of haven't done anything in the last couple of years with having Embiid well, and Murray. I'll just close off, and I'll close off with that. The reigning two-time MVP is going to have to prove himself now in the postseason yes. because he's been unable. Because he's mm-hmm. been unable to, and so. I, I I don't love that he's been unable to do that because yeah. like, two of the three years he's run into the Lakers and the Warriors. Well, here's the thing. Here's like, the just thing. because you lose to the Warriors in the first round doesn't mean. Like, they could have probably gotten past other teams. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. But do you see how we hold certain guys to no, a certain regard? No, I understand, you see I understand how we hold that, guys yes. to a certain regard and I do. we make excuses mm-hmm. for others? Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Jokic. As much as I love him, I'm not going to keep okay. making excuses I for agree. him because yeah. he's won two consecutive MVPs. No, and I'll, I'll, this will be on Jokic if they, if they don't get past Phoenix. I think this will be on Jokic. It won't be, oh, Phoenix was better. Denver's, I think Denver is better. I think Denver has all the advantages in their favor if you look at home court. For sure. I like, even I like Michael Malone over um, Monty Williams. Monty Williams, great mm-hmm. coach. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Malone, very underrated coach. Absolutely. And the situation with Jokic is unfair, but at the same time, though, Definitely. we hold guys to an unfair yeah. regard once they prove themselves. Yeah. So, He's proved himself to be a fantastic player, but now he has to win. I think that's just plain, simple period. You got to win now. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to another series in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns <laughs> and the L.A. Clippers. This series is tied at one apiece. Um, I'm trying to remember. What did I say what I think was the most interesting series? I think it was New York and Cleveland. That's certainly mm-hmm. one of the most. But I, I mean, think this, that's in the East. Yeah, the, in the yeah. East. I think this is the one that I've, you know, been locked in on. Derek, I'll start with you. What have you seen from this series that you've liked so far? Before I start this off, I gotta say shout out Westbrook. I mean, I think he's, I think he's back, man. I mean, three he's not for the, nineteen. All right, be quiet, Tim. No, I think he's, well. I think he he's been well. playing well on defense. And not, I mean, he's not really the offensive player he used to be with the triple doubles, but I mean, look at how he locked up Devin Booker in the last couple of plays. I mean, he's him in that regard. I think on defense, he's just playing really hard. He's hustling. He's doing what he needs to do to win. And I think from Westbrook now, that's what we need from him. I think that's what we need from Brody. So, I think the Clippers can pull this one out against the Suns just because of their defense alone. I think if you look back at even 12 hours ago, you say, oh, this is six. This is seven written all over it. If Kawhi is out for multiple games, it might be quick. It might be five. Yeah. If if there's no Kawhi and no Paul George. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have to rely on Ru- Russell Westbrook in 2023 as your main guy, it's just it's not going to work how you think it will. Or it actually might work out exactly how you think it will, meaning – it's going to be Suns and five. But I, if Kawhi's there, Kawhi, I, I think people forgot Kawhi Leonard's probably the best. He's a top two playoff um, playoff player of this generation. 100%. If, if there's no LeBron, then Kawhi is the best playoff performer of the generation by far. Two finals MVPs. He's just like, he r- rises in the playoffs more than anybody else in the game right now, I think. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think, you know, Kawhi's had such an interesting career. <laughs> yeah. um, these last few years with him being hurt, I think, have have altered, uh, I think, his all-time career trajectory. At the end of the day, you know, his resume will always be what it is. Mm-hmm. He'll only continue to add to it. So you won't be able to take those things away from him. Um, like I said, though, I think how we, have, how we view him now and how we may view him later on um, – could be impacted by these most recent few years. But yeah. I'm not going to get into all that. But 
you know, this Clippers team, I, I think, is incredibly deep. Um, and it's been interesting to see everything, I think, finally come together. You know, uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about this um, before we got started today. But, you know, Kawhi, I think, you know, was playing every other game. Not playing every other game, but, you know, wasn't playing yeah. back-to-backs. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at Like 25 minutes a game sometimes, just like very fra- – like they were – keeping the bubble wrap on him. They yeah. weren't really letting him show out in the regular season. For sure. And, you know, similar to we talk about, we talk about teams battling without their stars, you know, Tyron Lue, um, I remember reading a while ago that Lou has actually used this period, you know, especially last season, as a time to really build a system that Kawhi and George could fit within. But, in which you would have to rely on your rotational guys to sort of show out without them. And so, like I said, it's been interesting to see all of that come together. I think Westbrook, in some ways, I don't think he's complicated, but it's been interesting that he's been added into the mix. Um, And I think he's done a really nice job so far. Unfortunately, the efficiency issues will always be there. I Mm -hmm. think, you know, this is the kind of guy he is. But like I said, you know, Westbrook just plays so hard. And similar to many, I think, big men and rotational players, Westbrook brings a lot to the floor that isn't necessarily measured on a stat sheet. Um, but I think, unfortunately, because, you know, a player of his stature is going to get ridiculed, like I said, for the things like the in, uh, the inefficiency and, you know, all those issues. So um, I think Kawhi being out, I mean, obviously that's a huge blow to this offense. And That'd be tough. Seems like he might be back for game four, though. It no, was, yeah. It was something he played through in game one and two, so maybe it's yeah. he needs one to really just rest it and be fully back. Because for sure. also, yeah. if you're the the Clippers, this isn't right now, I don't think this is the year you push, even though it's getting... Really? I think with Paul if Paul George was healthy, I think then you push. But if you're looking at Phoenix right now, they're better than you, and especially without Paul George, I think you wait one more year and that's the make or break year. But the Clippers window is getting kind of small. Oh, if it's not this year, it's next year. And then if it's not next year, it's over. But I think at some point you don't want to risk another, like Kawhi injured his knee in the playoffs. Like he tore his ACL two years ago in the playoffs. Maybe it was a similar situation to this where he was kind of run down. The knees weren't feeling great. Mm -hmm. And then you hear pop and then it's two years down the drain. So, I I hope he's better. I hope he plays um, in Game Four. But it's just something to. I I don't blame them for being this cautious. So with this fragile of a team, do you think I don't say blow it up immediately? I mean, but in two years if they don't get anywhere, what do you do in this scenario? Yeah, I I think then you blow it up. But right now you gotta. Obviously, you don't have as many chances, and hopefully, if Kawhi is healthy, I I don't think it would be a. Uh, a situation like Zion where he's doing windmills and then not playing. <laughs> I think if it's, it's if if the knee feels good, you play him. Then you play him. But if the knee's not knee's not feeling good, I don't think it's something where you tough it out and maybe there's some long-term implications on it. Yeah. And going back to something that I was talking about earlier, I think, you know, systematically this team is equipped to survive without these guys yeah. because they've been forced to. Mm-hmm. Um So I think getting Kawhi back, you know, him being the playoff performer that he is alongside having those rotational guys, having a guy like Westbrook who does bring a wealth of experience, Mm -hmm. postseason experience, I think it 
it goes a long way. So I wouldn't overlook, you know, this Clippers team and their ability to, you know, push this series a little bit, even with Paul George being out, because like I said, they've gotten used to battling without both of these guys in so many games. Um, Obviously, they had Paul George for quite some time, but now with Kawhi, things are a bit different. So, Mm -hmm. but Derek, was there something you were going to add to that? No. Okay. I just one more thing. I think if if they can get one in L.A., if the Clippers can somehow get one in L.A., if Kawhi's there or he's not, then then you have a, a real series. Yeah, then if you've got something. If you can somehow, if then you get Kawhi back in either possible Game Five, and then maybe Paul George back in a possible Game Six, if you get another one, and then it's a series by far. So if and stealing one at home isn't that tough of a task. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's tough. But I mean, but like you said, as a it, team, it's a lot like, easier being at home. There's there's been worse teams to steal a game at home mm-hmm. in a playoff series. I think maybe it's a game. I think it would be this game, game three, where like Phoenix kind of underrates them without Kawhi, and mm-hmm. like they get maybe a couple shooters get hot, and then it's like, oh wow, somehow they're up fifteen, and then. The defense holds up, and then they win. But I, I think if they get one, it could be scary. I think it could be more of a series than it is looking right now. Because if they win, and then everybody comes back, then I'd be scared if I was Phoenix. I yeah, if, if like you're you're getting back <laughs> to top twenty players in the series, if if it goes to six, and that's that that would be scary if I was Phoenix. I, I think that's Phoenix first round exit. That'd be fantastic to see. Well, that would be that would be something for that's sure. Implosion. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah, that would be insane. That's certainly <clears throat> I think that's my series uh that I'll definitely be keeping an eye on. I mean, I'm obviously I'm watching all these, but if I had to recommend one series to keep an eye on is this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um transition transitioning over to the game that we have on uh Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors. Uh the Kings currently lead this series 2 to 0. Um the series has shifted back to the bay. Both teams are now playing at the Chase Center. The score is currently 15 to 10 in the first quarter, just over six minutes left. Um, I, this series is, I think, taking the bulk of the national media attention, obviously because of what happened between Demonis Sabonis and Draymond Green. But, mm-hmm. you know, before we talk a little bit about that and, and the suspension and everything, I want to talk to you guys a bit about the two of these teams. Um They've had very interesting trajectories, I think, to get to this point. Obviously, the Golden State Warriors are, you know, the dynasty of uh, our generation. Um, And the Sacramento Kings have, you know, they have struggled immensely within, you know, these last few years. And they've slowly but surely, I think, really built um, a promising team. Um, Mike Brown has done a terrific job. Certainly, a guy I think you have to put in the conversation for coach of the year. He he won it, yeah. He did. He win, won. Yeah, yeah they he announced it yesterday. Yesterday, he won. <sighs> man, man, I'm behind. Yeah, but well, kudos to him for winning. He deserved it. I don't think yeah. there was anybody more deserving of that award. Yeah, um, well, I feel like everyone kind of knew. Everyone was kind of surprised by the hire, but everyone was like, "Oh, that's a good hire." Last mm-hmm. uh, summer. Yeah, and it's paid off for them, definitely. Absolutely. Oh, he's coaching against Golden State. He's really got my eyes on him just as a fantastic coach, and I'm glad that he won because of that because he's really running Golden State right now. So I think he could – I think he should stay and he'll be a fantastic coach in the future. Yeah, and like you said earlier, it's interesting because he, you know, was an assistant 
for them mm-hmm. for so long. So if there's anyone who knows um, this team inside and out, it's him. And he, we've seen this before. You know, there are plenty of assistants who, you know, flock to head coaching positions and then they end up coaching against the teams that they were assistants for. But, you know, what have you guys, what did you guys see from Sacramento this season um, that you think has given them, I think, you know, just given them the ability to take a 2-0 series lead against a team that's, a team like Golden State. Tim, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think you have to start with De'Aaron Fox. Obviously, he's he won the the newest award, clutchest player of the year. He just down the stretch, it's he gets to his spot on the elbow, and it's it's money. Him and him and Sabonis in that pick and roll is just it's been pretty pretty lethal. And I also think one of the most underrated uh, pickups this year was probably Malik Monk. He was he got signed for. Definitely not. I think it was a mid-level exemption, and he's been really good for them. He's been a guy off the bench who gave you 32 in game one, I believe. Like He he can really – he's like a lightning bolt for that second unit. And that, he's one of the main reasons why this team is up 2-0, I think. Yeah. Um, Derek, before you know, I let you go, we talk about guys – who can come in and, and really just give you instant offense and how valuable yeah. those guys are. Malik Monk is is that to a T. 100%. 77 games this season. He averaged just over 13 points. I mean, he is he's a star within his role. But, I mean, he's going to be imperative to them making a deep run should they make mm-hmm. one uh, in this postseason. I think it has a lot to do with coaching. But, I mean, picking up a player like Malik Monk and getting them in here and taking them off the bench and scoring 30 is insane. So just seeing that for the Kings, especially with the Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox matchups and the, um, their pick-and-roll offense is fantastic. I think that they could outscore any team in the league right now. I think they can yeah, kind of— best offense. They are, and I think they could be a real dark horse in this playoffs. If they beat Golden State, I think you should be, look out for them going into the playoffs and making a little bit of a run. And I feel like next year, coming into the next year, they're going to have a big chip on their shoulder. And I feel like they're going to be in the limelight as well for being a yeah. really, really good team Definitely. in the future. So, I mean, I think they can go really, really far in the playoffs this year and for sure next year. The Kings? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just there there was a viral video of the fan um, earlier this season. I think it was even before the season started, it was like, we're going to win 40 games this year. Yeah, like that was the goal. That would be... <laughs> the best season in decades for the Kings, but they won 50 games, I believe, and they were the three seed, and now they're up 2-0 on uh, the dynasty of this decade, really, and they have a chance. If you look at the series, if they win, if they can steal one in um, San Francisco, then it would be tough for um, the Warriors to come back, because then they'd have to win two games on the road, and they haven't They've been terrible on the road this year, so I think that would be something to really look out for. The Golden State's been fantastic at home. Exactly. A couple of playoffs. In the playoffs especially, they've been great at home. So I think they pull one out here, then I think they'll get the next one and I'll make it a a seven series. But, I mean, I think this is going to go to seven regardless. It's that old cliche, you know, if um, the series doesn't start until the away team wins a game. So (laughs) we'll we'll have to see how it goes. in the future for the series, but it'll, it's it's going to be entertaining. I, I personally, this is my personal favorite series of oh, yeah. the um of the playoffs so far. Far it's late night games. Both atmospheres are amazing. Sacramento, by the way, who knew like that that town that city had not had the coverage of being like, oh th- these are some diehard fans. But 
Hey, but I mean, they were in the early 2000s. So I mean, yeah. with those, you know, with those Jason Williams teams in the mm. late 90s, and then when they traded for Mike Bibby, those te- I mean, that place used to be rocking. I believe it was Sleep Train Arena. That was the uh-huh. arena before um, this new, or no, Arco. Arco Arena is what mm-hmm. I believe it was called. Okay. Excuse me. Yeah, but I mean, they were just... They were just irrelevant for pretty much my entire life, and <laughs> uh, and now that they're they're back in uh, they're back in the atmosphere. Hopefully, they can get like. Hopefully, this means they will be in the future a destination for some teams. Because mm-hmm. if you look in the past, like they have not gotten a single free agent in probably fifteen years. Yeah, Demarcus I think- Cousins. Well, he was a draft pick. Yeah. Like they, like if it's not homegrown from Sacramento, like there's cities where like you just have to, you have to draft and develop or win a trade. Like mm-hmm. we can go back on the Halliburton Sabonis trade and how that's a win-win. But I mean, I think if you look at what Sacramento has done, I think you definitely have to call it a win on their part. And I think yeah, Indiana. So yeah, when I'd say a win-win trade, but oh, I think yeah. Sacramento has gotten the better of it so far. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so far. Well, I mean, I think they they kind of realized, hey, we're trying to win now. We're not necessarily yeah. trying to wait any longer. And they went out and did that. Whereas Indiana was looking to sort of tear down and build Rebuild. back up. Um, the interesting thing with Indiana though is that they've been able. I think they've kind of been able to do both simultaneously, which yeah. has been cool to see. Um. I think this series has really provided some high level basketball. Yeah. Um not necessarily in the you know, the standpoint of I think I think the ball movement has been there, the sets have been there, but also too, we we've gotten to see I think like I said, I think we've gotten to see some really good scores and I think like we said, I think we've gotten to see a couple of guys show off their games, especially like a guy like De'Aaron Fox. Um I think his involvement has really been highlighted yes. in this series. You know, this season he averaged 25 and 6. You know, De'Aaron Fox has always been a physical specimen. He's always been, you know, incredibly fast, quick. He's 6'4. Um, but he hasn't been able to put it all together. And he's gotten mm-hmm. great at changing speeds. You can tell the game has slowed down for him. I think he's under I think he now understands the invaluable lesson that a lot of times in the league, slow is fast. Um, like you said, he's really improved with his, with his mid-range jumper, which for a guy like him who gets into the paint as often as he does and who does it at will, having a mid-range jumper is everything. It opens up yep. uh, an entirely different world. And so, like I said, individually it's been really good to see certain guys, I think, showcase elements of their game that haven't necessarily been overlooked but that people haven't gotten to see. And the same could go- be said for Malik Monk. I mean, he's quietly had – a really good year. Um, I think he's sort of revived his career in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there are, are so many guys around the league that you could say individually they're good, but what do they contribute to winning basketball? And, you know, Malik Monk, I think, has the kind of game to where you could ask that question if he were in a different situation. But because the Kings are winning and because I think he's been such an invaluable piece to them and their rotation, you can't. And I think that, yeah. you know, serves as a testament to his game and to all he's been able to do. So, yeah, and obviously, you know, Sabonis, you know, he he's always been terrific. And it, it's been great to see, I think, him step into this role and I think really embrace being a leader for this team. Um, I think him, De'Aaron, Mike Brown, I think 
none of them have shied away, I think, from the expectations and from the possibilities of being this kind of team. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really cool to see all of this come into fruition for them. Yeah, and I think it could be a lesson for, I think the De'Aaron Fox development could be a lesson for a lot of, like, losing teams right now. Like, he's only 25 still. He has a lot left in the tank, but he's also been in the league for six years. So maybe it's, and I think there were talks maybe, it was a little too early, but like there were talks of like, is it time to move on from De'Aaron Fox before the season? And now you say, obviously, no, he's maybe an all NBA caliber player. So I think it's just a lesson to maybe a team like Charlotte to like, even if they're losing right now, just hang with LaMelo Ball or another team that's losing. Just like right. stay with your 20 year olds because they can really develop. It's like development, I think, has kind of been lost. It's like, Oh, you didn't average twenty your rookie year. I think you, you're a bum. Dude. Like, get out of the league. I think there needs to be a little more patience in this league, from fans, from GMs, from everyone. But I think it's just a good lesson to be like, stick with your guys, your homegrown guys. Well, we used to talk a lot about patience. I think during the regular season, you know, especially when we would talk about teams like the Pistons. Yeah. And you know, we talked about the importance of allowing guys to sort of figure it out and. You know, for the Kings, I think they did a really good job of, I think, allowing De'Aaron to figure it out while also figuring out ways to adequately build around him because mm -hmm. that's another underrated and important aspect. You know, you have to ask yourself the question of, if this guy evolves into the player that I envision him to be, what am I going to do to put him, him and this franchise in the best position to succeed? Yeah. And I think we've seen a handful of situations around the league where a guy has evolved into that kind of player and the team did not build around him. And so as a result, you have this phenomenal player and you really don't have the greatest supporting cast around him. And so, like I said, you know, the Sabonis move, for me personally at the time, I thought it was it, it was perplexing to say the least. I thought Halliburton proved himself to be a viable mm. backcourt mate. But like I said, I think they knew what they were doing and they knew what they wanted and they put all of their chips into winning now, and so far it's paid major dividends for them. Obviously, it remains to be seen if they're able to, you know, get out of this series. They, but I think winning these two games has exemplified that whatever they're doing in Sacramento is working. And, you know, I think also, too, regardless of what happens in this postseason for them, this is certainly something to build build off of. This is certainly mm -hmm. a springboard into the seasons to come. And, uh like I said, it's just been great to see all this coming to fruition for them. Yeah, and it's it's been pretty, like, a weird expectation. It's, like, the roles have kind of been flipped in these first two games. Mm -hmm. Sacramento's been the team that's been down in, like, the second half. And the Warriors have just kind of, they've looked, like, kind of uninterested or maybe just, like, unfocused. Very a lot game. of turnovers, a lot of fouls. I know people were complaining about the refs, but I, I don't really buy into that. I, they were fouling a lot. Like, they just... Their defense was sloppy, and they haven't been. I I don't think they expected this kind of Sacramento team. They came into these games really, really tough, and I think they kind of people were saying they were underdogs. I mean, it's Golden State; they won four chips, so people were just expecting Golden State to come out there and win. But I feel like people like De'Aaron Fox, just the kind of personality he has, he came in with a chip on his shoulder. I remember him talking about in the press conference, just talking about how he came with a chip on his shoulder to take it to this Golden State team. I think that's what he's been doing the past two games, and everyone on that team has been just taking it to Golden State. And they just Golden State just hasn't really looked good to me at all. They've been really just kind of wishy-washy with how they play, and like just because um they're 
<laughs> their coach is so fantastic. Just knowing what Golden State's going to do, I think that's been a catalyst kind of hand-in-hand with their play and just the coaching and why they've been kind of locking them down in a way that they have. Yeah, we're, we're just still waiting for the Warriors. Like, I think well, there will definitely be a game where Curry just goes off, hits 10 threes. Mm-hmm. Or, like, we really haven't seen a – we haven't seen, a, like, a Clay Thompson game, really. I think he's, yeah. hit, he's hit, a, I think, two threes so far in this one. So I think it will be um, – I think it will be interesting to see how it goes forward. Um, this is going to be a war, I think. I don't think it's over, even though it's 2 nothing right now. I think this will go 6 or 7. Most definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is some high-level basketball, and I don't think I don't think either team will go down without a fight. Yeah, um, definitely. Absolutely not. But transitioning into our final series that we have for you in the Western Conference, the Memphis Grizzlies and the L.A. Lakers. Um Lakers currently lead this series 1-0. And obviously, Ja did not play mm-hmm. in the last game. We talked about teams finding ways to battle without their stars. Xavier Tillman was big for them. Spartan dog. Go green. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on, on this series. I feel like I keep saying this, but this series is incredibly intriguing to me in terms mm-hmm. of not only matchups, but I think the direction of these two teams. Um, there are two teams that I think have been that are more battle tested. I think than anyone around the league. When you just talk in terms of this season and all that mm-hmm. they've had to go through, both on and off the court, I think it's these two teams, especially within yeah. the Western Conference. What have you guys seen in this series that you've liked so far? I think the first thing you have to look at is role players, Austin Reeves. Uh, Rui Hachimura just excuse me I don't know why I said that the series is 1-1 I don't know why I said 1-0 it was 1-1 sorry guys uh, Rui's been great it's been the supporting cast around LeBron that's mm-hmm. kind of risen at least in game one game two they kind of fell back down to how it normally is mm-hmm. for a LeBron James team but like in the past it's been oh can LeBron James backpack this team mm-hmm. to a finals now it's kind of like oh he has he has guys he can dish it out to he can let AD work a little bit more, and if he stays healthy, that's a big question mark for them. But I, I think the Lakers have, like, game one was like, oh, th- this is a team that, like, really has it. And then game two is, is this more of the team? I think there's two Lakers teams that we saw, and I think it just depends where is the average on the spectrum. Well, Where will they play in the next five games possibly of the series that's like, oh, this is what they actually are? I think it took a while for the Lakers to actually click yeah. when it comes to this season. They were really, really off. Anthony Davis was in and out of injuries and kind of not playing so the way I thought he would play. And, like, Pelicans AD was way better than me. But, I mean, now he's kind of getting back into his element. And obviously looking at Rui Hachimura and their bench. And Austin Reeves is playing fantastic. I love yeah. how in the last five minutes of the first game he just told LeBron to get to the side and he just, <laughs> he just worked. I think that's fantastic. I mean, he got ice in his veins. That's amazing. So, I mean – the Lakers are playing fantastic. It's really their, like you said, their bench that's really kind of carrying them a little bit and helping LeBron. I think that's what he needs. He needs to be able to just chill out sometimes and not have to carry yeah. every single game like he has with the Heat and different previous teams and the and the other teams as well. I think he just carrying is just not really that good for him. He's been doing it for a long, but he's getting old now. LeBron's still playing at a fantastic level, but I think he needs to have that supporting cast like Austin Reeves and Ruhachimura and Anthony Davis, of course, to actually kind of help in a way. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't want to do a season overview of this team, but this Lakers team has definitely struggled to find its identity uh, within the year. Um, mm-hmm. I was a really big fan of going out and getting D'Angelo Russell 
especially for series like this one, uh, series like these, excuse me. But, you know, unfortunately, the Russell trade hasn't seemed to pay dividends, at least within this these first two games of this series. Um, there's only so much, you, you know, you can ask out of LeBron. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. This Grizzlies team, when you talk about depth, I mean, they, they've got so much of it. And obviously, Ja has been phenomenal, and he's been terrific. Um, but they've had to find ways to win without him this season. And I think that's benefited them, especially in series like these, where also, too, and before I transition, I think Tyus Jones arguably is the best backup point guard in basketball. I don't think he's the flashiest, but he always, you know, keeps this team within their sets, and he's he just does a really nice job, I think, of commanding this offense. You know, he's, I think, the epitome of what you could ask for out of a floor general and, and a true point guard. But, um, yeah, this is certainly, I think, an, an interesting series just because, like I said, both of these teams are incredibly battle-tested. Um, I like what I've seen so far, you know, on Memphis's side. I like how well-balanced they've been without draw. Um, I don't understand the noise of them being better, a better team without him, just because yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any validity to to that. But like I said, this team is incredibly deep, and and for people to even ask that question, I think is a testament to these guys and the supporting cast that they have, and you know their ability to make shots and to continue to work. Um, you talk about teams building and building the right way. I think Memphis has done that. You know. They went out and got a guy like Desmond Bain, who was a four-year guy at TCU. Um, I remember hearing about him. There was a knock that because he was a four-year guy, three or four years at TCU, there was a knock that you know he had reached his ceiling and that he was older and that he wouldn't get better. Mm-hmm. And the Grizzlies really bet on the fact that, no, you know, we think this guy is going to continue to improve even into the NBA. And he's continued to do so. He's been obviously much more than a, just a starting-level shooting guard. He's been an adequate one for – a couple of years now, and that's been really good to see. Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously just won Defensive Player of the Year. I've, you know, been really impressed with his ability to just be everywhere on the floor. We talk about big men doing things that don't show up on the box score. Mm-hmm. He does it, and he shows up on the box score in so many different ways. So, like I said, this is incredible, an incredibly deep team, and they're well-balanced. Um, obviously, the series is split so far, but I like what I've seen out of Memphis, and I think, you know, whenever they get job back, I think they'll be ready to go and they'll be full throttle just because I think all of their pieces are well-tuned and refined and they all understand how to win without them. And they've also played enough games with them this season to understand what it takes to win alongside them. Yeah. In a playoff series, you need a, a closer. I was concerned in game two. Obviously, they got it done. Mm-hmm. But it, it was looking like, oh, maybe... Because I think Desmond Bain, that's that's the next step for Desmond Bain to really become like a an all-star caliber player, like mm-hmm. down the stretch, ball in his hands, ISO. Give it to him. He gets he gets to his spot, and he can get a basket whenever you need it. You still don't really have that, which is kind of what limits this team, where it's just kind of fourth quarter focus goes on to Jaw, and Jaw's going to the rim most likely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good good news for Jaw because it's no structural structural damage. It's kind of just like pain tolerance, and hopefully it can progress better as the series goes on hopefully we can get him back for games three and four i i think it this is this is kind of like experience versus youth and 
if we want to talk about Dylan, Dylan Brooks and his antics, reminds me a lot. I think that that's what's best um, in the NBA. It reminds me of guys like Lance Stevenson just trying to get <laughs> under LeBron's skin. It's never really worked, it but, I, but I love the effort. And it's, I mean, you know what? You got to have some confidence to trash talk LeBron when your jumper looks the way Dylan Brooks' jumper looks. I mean, it's just he has an ugly. He has confidence. He has confidence. It's he might have a nice little four for fifteen. He might be throwing up the uh, tour dates out there. Three. Oh man. Yeah. No. He's he's an interesting guy. But I mean, I think we don't talk about Jaron Jackson enough. Yeah. Kind of like. I was a player of the totally year, and he just yeah. he surprised no, me this year being playing that well in that high of a level. I think he's playing fantastic, getting all those blocks, getting all those boards. He's yeah. been a real backbone that we don't really see a lot for Memphis. So we talk about Ja all the time, and um, I think a bunch of different players, but and I think his involvement on offense will be crucial to how far this Memphis team can go because I think all of the tools and I think the skill set is there for him to do it. I you think it's a just jumper. a matter of him. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of him finding ways to put it all together and. Uh, you know, find his spots. That's the scary thing about Jackson Jr. I don't think he's necessarily found all of the spots in which he can score on the floor. You know, um, I think the best guys on offense have that unlocked and they mm-hmm. have that ability to, you know, like I said, pick their spots effectively and know, hey, when I'm here, I can get a bucket. I don't think Jackson Jr. has discovered that. But he's been amazing defensively and he's still in- incredibly great on offense. So, um, keep an eye on that series along with the rest of these ones. But before we get out of here, our last segment, I want you guys to give me your finals predictions. Obviously, this will probably change within the next week. Well, maybe, but not for tell. Who do you guys? Well, who do you guys have in the finals? My, my Eastern is kind of locked in. Obviously, yeah, Boston yeah, Celtics, yeah. but I believe in it. It's not just like oh, I, I guess I, I'm gonna pick them because they're my favorite team. But they're no, I, I right now. I, tr- I agree with that. I truly believe they they are the team to beat in the East. They're the reigning East champs, if you want to look at that, look at it that way. They got the experience. I think they can come out of the East. And then in the West, the West is I like if you look at it right now, there's there's seven teams that have a chance to play for it. Like seven teams that will be in that have a chance to be in the Western Conference final. Now, looking at teams that can go to the final, I think it's probably between Golden State, even though they're in a 2-0 deficit right now. It's obviously Phoenix. I think Denver can, obviously. I think I'm going to I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is, obviously. I, I've talked myself into Denver in this uh, during this podcast, so I'm going to go Denver and Boston. That's going to be my uh, finals matchup. Um. I'm gonna have to disagree there. I think I know Giannis is injured right now, but I mean I'm loving what the Bucks are doing right now without him. And if Giannis comes back in Game Four, if he comes back a couple of games later, I think you guys are toast. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Good luck stopping Giannis. Is all I'm gonna say. But um, I think for the East, I think it's I'm locked in with the the Bucks right now. And for the West, I mean I'm a Golden State fan. The Suns are looking really good, and you said Denver's looking really good as well. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Dubs. I think they're gonna get back in this game. As of right now, I think they they can they can make it to the finals. They have a good enough deep enough roster for it. They've always had a deep roster, no matter the years gone by. They always have a deep roster. I think they can make it. Winning, I don't think so. I think they can get to the finals for sure. And then who do you have coming out of the East? Uh, the Bucks. The Bucks. Yes. So Bucks and Warriors. Mm-hmm. Ooh. 
That would be like two clashing styles, kind of. I think that would be a very interesting series. It'd be a fun Most series. Most definitely. For me, I've given a lot of thoughts of this. I've gone back and forth. I'm going to say Boston. Yes. And Phoenix. I like the Phoenix pick. I'm going to say Boston and Phoenix. I, I think Phoenix, I think this is their, I don't want to say their title because I think they haven't won one, but this is definitely, I think, their conference to lose. I think they have mm-hmm. to get out of the West. I think with the team this stacked, we talked about the Kings putting all their chips into winning now. The the Suns have done that full-fledged. So, yeah, that's that's my pick. I got Suns and the Celtics. Who would be your winner? Because my winner would be Boston. You said I'm you taking would, the Bucks. Bucks. Who would be your finals winner? That's tough. I think I'm going to say Celtics and seven. It would be a fun series for sure. Celtics and seven. I think that's yeah. a good pick. I mean, the matchups, I mean, Katie's going to, Matt Katie, um, JV and Katie, Jason Tatum are going to be awesome. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. Yeah, that would be, yeah. that would be, that mean, would be a war. That would be just a, that's going yeah. to seven. It's not just what you say. Good I, ball right there. That's yeah. just good basketball. I mean, and I think too, you know, Tim, I'm, I'm sure you've, read about this or, or seen it but you know Tatum has openly talked about the fact that last season he just ran out of gas yeah. you know he mm-hmm. was not only hurt but I mean he was exhausted he had never played that deep into the season before yeah. and so this team I think like I said we talked about there's another level I think that's been unlocked and understanding what it takes to win you know he talked about it in an interview I, I found out now what it takes to get there mm-hmm. and now about working and getting to the point where I know what it takes to win and then going yeah. out and doing it. So um, I think if they get back, I, I I have them winning just because I think all of those lessons and everything that they've been able to do, I think will finally, I think, come together for a really good series. So, but that's all we have for this episode, this edition of the Courtside Convo. Thank you so much for listening along with us. We'll have Another episode with all the playoff updates and storylines next week. Go out and be nice to people. We'll see you next time.